everything that moves. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Welcome into another edition of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we have got a great show for you this week. As always, I've got Greg Cosell from NFL Film, senior producer. Not in studio this week. I got him on the phone. We couldn't hook up in person this week, but do have Greg on the phone. Later on in the show, we'll be joined by NFL media analyst Bucky Brooks to talk some college football and the NFL draft. But first, Greg, welcome to Week 8. Fran, big game this week, too. Very interesting game. Uh, I wonder how many would have thought that the two uh, teams would have a combined two losses as we enter Week 8. Yeah, that's right. It's the battle of the five and one teams out in the desert. Obviously, the Arizona Cardinals, a formidable opponent, one of the most dangerous teams that was on the Eagles' schedule last year, and that's going to be the same this year. They're, they're five and one for the first time in almost four decades. So, really challenging team. But the Eagles are going to get some reinforcements back. Hopefully, uh, Chip Kelly announced at his press conference on Tuesday that Jason Kelsey. Darren Sproles, Michael Kendricks, all back at practice. Evan Mathis returned to practice on Wednesday. What does it mean to have those four guys possibly back in the fold over this week and then next week as well? Well, I think it really means a lot, uh, particularly from an offensive standpoint, uh, certainly with Jason Kelsey and and Evan Mathis, uh, because I think this team last year, uh, one of the things that made this team so special, I thought, was that all five starting offensive linemen uh, started all 16 games. And that's hard to do in this league, and it didn't happen this year. And you can cut it any way you want, but that causes problems for your offense with continuity, stability, and and efficiency. And then I think uh, Michael Kendricks is a guy we haven't spent a lot of time talking about in recent weeks, but I think he's kind of on the verge of being one of those complete linebackers. You know, I'm not going to say he's on the verge of being the you know, one of the two or three best in the league, but he has that kind of skill set. And uh, he, his game was clearly ratcheting up in terms of completeness. Especially with a player like Andre Ellington on the other side of the line of scrimmage, a guy like Kendricks and his sideline-to-sideline capabilities could be potentially very big in this game. Yeah, and it's funny you mention Ellington, who, as I recall, he did not play in the game last year, correct? Correct. He was a, he was a late scratch, and I, I don't believe he played in the game. So his, uh, yeah, his addition and- this year will be big. And now this year they've expanded his role fairly significantly. Last year he was much more of a satellite player who carried the ball at times in the backfield. This year he's essentially their feature back. They pretty much rode him last week against Oakland. But the thing you have to be really careful with is he can line up anywhere in the formation. He can line up in the slot. He can split him outside. And he can run routes like a wide receiver. He becomes a very difficult matchup. Greg, when you talk about this Cardinals team, obviously it all starts really with the passing game offensively. They're a vertical passing team. They really like to attack down the field in chunks with those deep shot plays. Uh, what What are the big things you've noticed from this passing attack? Obviously rookie John Brown, Michael Floyd, Larry Fitzgerald. The weapons are, you know, they've done a really good job of spreading the ball around. Yeah, and their O-line is better this year than it was last year. One thing that you really notice when you watch film is Bruce Arians very much likes the empty set. He likes to attack with five wide receivers. And it'll be interesting to see. Bill Davis is very creative with blitz concepts. I think the Eagles have gotten better and better as the year has progressed with the concepts. So that, to me, is one of the really intriguing matchups in this game. How does Bill Davis approach the empty sets? Because he's going to get them early, and he'll probably get them often. And 
that's what Bruce Arians believes. He wants to make you, you defend the whole field, especially vertically, but he relies on his five-man pass protection and his veteran quarterback in Carson Palmer to read it and get the ball out. It's funny you bring that up. I actually did a lot of work on the empty set this week just in preparation for my article uh, previewing the Cardinals. They've run the empty set 17 times this year. They've averaged 9.7 yards per play out of the set, so it's really been a productive formation for them. And obviously Carson Palmer, his, uh, his presence in the offense, he's missed three games this year. He's been on the field for three games. Just comparing the three games when he's been on the field, their red zone percentage jumped from like you know 35 percentage points. Their third down percentage jumped over 10 percentage points. His presence is really felt when he's on the field for Arizona. And my guess is they'd be an empty more if he had played in those three games. Yeah, I think uh, you're and, right. And again, yeah. even 17 snaps, that may not seem like a lot, but it is because you just don't line up an empty in the NFL as, as a regular deal. But it, it would be higher if Palmer had played in those three games. Uh, but that, that to me is one of sort of the game-within-the-game elements of this matchup. Yeah, especially because we've seen Billy Davis and how he attacks empty. He likes to, to bring those extra rushers, and even though he may not bring six rushers, he'll show six and bring four, likes to play with the offensive line. So you're right, I think that'll be one of the games within the game that'll be interesting to watch as it unfolds Sunday afternoon. Yeah, and, and Palmer, we've discussed this, you and I, Fran. Palmer is, is in many ways what I call a read-it-out quarterback. So you can show him things, and, and he'll decide, hey, this defense tells me to throw it here. And I think at times, now he's a veteran, so it's not going to happen you know, ten times a game, but there are times I think he can bait him and get him to throw it where you want him to throw it. Defensively, Greg, I mean, what can you say about this Arizona team? Because they come out, they, they, you automatically you lose Darrell Washington's suspension, you lose Carlos Stansby in free agency, you lose a guy like Matt Shaughnessy, you lose John Abraham outside, uh, you lose Calais Campbell for a certain amount of time this year. What can you say really about this team and the way that they performed? Number one rush defense in the NFL. I, I left out Darnell Dockett on injured reserve as well. I mean, they've lost so many key pieces, but they still continue to produce at a very high level. Yeah, and, and they're doing it a little bit differently. I mean, they still believe in, in blitz. Uh, they blitz, oh, I think about 45% of all quarterback dropbacks. Uh, the concepts are very similar, but the personnel is different from last year when they were predominantly in nickel defense because they had Darrell Washington and Carlos Dansby. This year, with neither one of those guys, they're essentially a dime defense. Uh, they play the rookie, Dion Buchanan, as, as that hybrid linebacker safety. He pretty much lines up in the box. Uh, he's a very good run defender. They're actually a very good run defense out of dime, uh, as we know from the statistics. But uh, So a lot of the principles are the same in terms of the pressure concepts. They just do it with different people. Yeah, and you know, obviously the addition of Antonio Cromartie has been big for them on the outside. It allowed them to move Gerard Powers inside in the nickel spot, where I think he's probably a better fit. Uh, the Eagles and a lot of other teams went after Powers on the outside last year, and I think he's kind of settled in there on the slot. Still a little limited athletically, but a really aggressive player and has been very productive. I think Bruce Arians may have called him their defensive MVP through uh, the first five games of the year. So uh, his his role inside has allowed Tyron Matthew to kind of ease his way back into the rotation, come off the torn ACL. Yeah, and I think that's been critical because this is a man-to-man -man team, and they're very comfortable with Peterson on one side, Cromartie on the other, playing man-to-man -man without necessarily safety help over the top. And the fact that Powers is an improved player and can also play man is very, very important. We see this is what allows them to have extra bodies involved in whether it's blitz, whether it's different coverage concepts, uh, because I think – It'll be interesting this game. Last year, the Eagles did a very good job with their tight ends attacking in the middle of the field. 
the Cardinals obviously did not have Cromartie last year on the outside. So uh, I'm going to be looking to see whether the Eagles try again in the middle of the field or whether the Cardinals now with more potential bodies in the middle because of the man coverage with both Cromartie and Peterson, how that plays out. Well, obviously, having Darren Sproles in the lineup will go a long way towards accomplishing that. Uh, Zach Ertz and his continued development, he had a big touchdown catch against the Giants two weeks ago. Uh, I would imagine that that would be a, a area of focus for the Eagles. And what, what if you we brought up Dion Buchanan, the first-round pick at Washington State? I know you were a really big fan of his. What have, what have you seen from him just in terms of coverage? Obviously, he's really, really good playing the ball in front of him. Great you know, sideline-to-sideline uh, side side speed and really a physical tackler. What have you seen from him in coverage so far? You know, they've used him at times uh, to lock up man-to-man on tight ends. I think he's done a good job. Now, he hasn't done that with a steady diet. You don't see him do that 15 or 20 times a game. Uh, We'll see if the Eagles find a way to exploit that or feel that they can exploit that. The other safety that at times lines up in place a man is Tony Jefferson. So, you know, my guess is Chip Kelly will feel that that's an area that he can exploit. Uh, if it indeed plays out that way, only the game will, will tell. But Buchanan has been a very, very good player. He's a tall, rangy, athletic kid. Better movement, I think, than some people thought when he came out of Washington State. Uh, obviously, he's not being used in the one area that most people had questions, which was playing single high safety, but he, he never plays that in this defense. No, you're exactly right. And, it, and really, it would be I would be remiss talking about this defense if we didn't talk about some of their pressure schemes. And they use a blitz often that you and I are both big fans of. We saw it two weeks ago, actually, from the Eagles in a third down pressure from Malcolm Jenkins on an incomplete pass from Eli Manning. And that's the triple-A gap blitz. Yeah, and, and it's funny because uh, it, it's almost impossible to stop if executed properly with a one-back set, uh, especially uh, if, if you block it using your back. I mean, there's, there's another way to block it, but most teams will block it using the offensive center to pick up one blitzer and the back to step inside to pick up a second blitzer, and then the third blitzer that comes through. There's not another body to pick him up. And they actually had a beautiful one a few weeks ago against, Arizona, uh, against San Francisco, in which uh, Tony Jefferson, who's the third blitzer through usually when they do this, um, he literally lined up head up on the tight end as if he was playing man-to-man. So he came from a little bit of distance, beautifully disguised, and Kaepernick, they caught him. Kaepernick uh, knew that the first two A-gap blitzers, the linebacker foot and Buchanan, were picked up, and he dropped back comfortably, thought there was no problem, did not recognize that Jefferson was coming because of Jefferson's initial alignment, and Jefferson got in clean, and, and Kaepernick did not see him, and it was a great sack. But they do this extremely well. They're probably the best team in the league at this triple-A gap concept. And you bring up a great point with it against the one gap, the one back set. I actually never even factored that into the equation when thinking about this play. Uh, obviously, the Eagles run a lot of one back sets, almost all one back sets. This will be a big challenge. Another one of those games within the game for Lashawn McCoy, who I think has been pretty good over the last couple of years at picking up the blitz. Right, but the key is, uh, you know, Chip Kelly, and and he's adjusted very well at times in keeping people in when he's felt it's necessary. I don't think he wants to do that, but obviously you have to play to the way a given game goes, a given opponent plays, and uh, this is where Sproles could be an interesting player because you know you talked about we talked about the tight end matchups. 
groups. But then if you get Sproles out of the backfield um, and you're able to get, whether it's angle routes, whether it's wheel routes, who, who's going to play Sproles? Likely it's, it's Jefferson. It could be Buchanan. I think Chip Kelly, if they can protect, they're going to feel very good about that matchup. Well, that's why this game is going to be one of the most intriguing this Sunday afternoon. Greg Cosell, senior producer of NFL Films, appreciate the time as always. I will see you here in the studio next week. Thanks, Fran. Appreciate it. All right, I caught up earlier with NFL media analyst Bucky Brooks to talk some NFL draft and college football. Let's get to that interview. All right, it's time now to welcome in a first-time guest to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, a former NFL scout for the Seahawks and Panthers, played in the league for a number of years, current NFL media analyst Bucky Brooks. Bucky, welcome to the show. Appreciate the time. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, first things first, Bucky, and I wanted to ask you this off the top. You wrote this week after Florida State's big win over Notre Dame that you still stand by Jameis Winston as the top quarterback in the potential 2015 quarterback class. Obviously, he's a redshirt sophomore, still likely he'll stay put, and we can enjoy him at the college level for the next couple of years. But if he does, in fact, come out, why do you think he still remains at the top of the class? I mean, I think if you look at the other guys who potentially could come out, and I don't see a senior quarterback really kind of reigning supreme in the group. You're talking about Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, uh, I guess you throw Brent Hundley in there and possibly Connor Cook from Michigan State. If you look at him in comparison to all of those quarterbacks, he's one who's playing in a pro-style system. He's played in a number of big games, so you can evaluate what he does very, very well. He's played well in big games. He's done a great job of bouncing back when he's had these adverse moments. And because of those things, I think when you factor in his arm talent, his athleticism, and the way that he plays on the big stage, I think he reigns ahead. He ranks ahead of those other guys when you throw the comparisons in it. All right, I want to stick with the Seminoles here. And one of the big storylines for them coming into this season was their experienced offensive line. You know, guys like Cameron Irving, Trey Jackson, Joe Zumatias are up this way in North Jersey. Uh, how has that group performed for you so far uh, at this point in the season? You know, a guy like Irving in particular for me, you know, I've watched him. I watched him against Clemson. He's got some quickness to him, can locate on the move as a puller, but struggled a little bit when he went up a guy like Vic Beasley lined up as a wide seven or nine technique, getting out of his set, protecting the corner. What have you seen from those three guys? I mean, I think they've been a little disappointing. I think you expected those guys to be dominant. Uh, we expected to see the Florida State of old, the 2013 version, and we didn't see that. Uh, I think with Cameron Irvin, as you alluded to, his struggles versus speed and quickness off the edge. Victor Beasley kind of had his way with him when he was coming off the edge in that wide nine technique alignment. And so for me, it just leads me to be a little hesitant and reluctant that he can be an elite pass protector at the next level because he's going to face that kind of speed and athleticism. I think as we kick down and go even further inside, Trey Jackson was a guard that a lot of people were excited about prior to the season. He hasn't necessarily dominated the line of scrimmage to the level that we thought he would. And so overall, the group in general kind of leaves you wanting more, but there's still a lot of talent in that line. I think a lot of guys that will be drafted drafted pretty early. Yeah, no question about it. Obviously, you've got some of those skill guys, Rashad Green on the outside, Carlos Williams, the running back. The team's loaded offensively with senior talent. Yeah, I mean, there's some talented guys. I think Rashad Green is a nice piece uh, for teams looking for kind of like that ideal number two or number three receiver. Very good route runner, strong hands, does a great job um, making plays on the outside of the numbers, I think he is a guy that's probably more complete than a lot of receivers in the college football game because he can do so much. He does give you that ability to really run everything on the route tree while also giving you that speed dynamic. For Carlos Williams, a lot of people expected him to be one of the upper-tier running backs heading into this year. He's super talented. He was a guy that spent the first couple seasons on defense before moving to running back. So you like the fact that he has size, he has speed, he was athletic, he has vision. 
And also, he potentially would enter the league without a lot of mileage on his body. He hasn't performed at that high level, but I think you're intrigued by just what he brings to the table as an athlete, as a specimen, as a guy that's still kind of learning how to run at the running back position. Every week, Bucky, you release your predictions for the college football four-team playoff. And this week you've got Florida State, of course, but also Ole Miss, Oregon, and then your number one team, the Mississippi State Bulldogs, led by your Heisman favorite, Dak Prescott, and that nasty defense. I wanted to ask you about defensive end Preston Smith. You know, a guy's 6'4 and a half, 270 pounds. He's the right defensive end in that 4-3 scheme, a violent kid. Bucky plays with a high motor. I really liked him when I watched him against LSU. Almost seemed like a Quinton Copel's type player, just the way he moves and with that length. What have you seen from Smith this year? You know, you, you kind of hit on all the bill, the, the top topics about him. He is a high-motor kid, a guy that's relentless in his approach, does a great job mixing that speed and physicality, dominated against good competition. He's really been the catalyst to that defense. They also have some other guys on that defense that stand up, but it starts and ends with him dominating the line of scrimmage, particularly off that edge. I'm very impressed with him, and I'm very impressed with the Mississippi State Bulldogs when you look at that collective talent. All right, I mentioned already another one of your playoff teams right now, and it's tough to argue against them. The Oregon Ducks, Chip Kelly's old team in the Pacific Northwest. They've got a cornerback, Bucky, Ifo Ekpre Olamu. The kid does it all. He lines up outside, lines up inside, smooth hips, aggressive, everything you want. He's, but he's 5'9", 185 pounds. With all of that importance that's placed now in that position and length uh, and you know those long arms, long legs, and the position right down, now in the NFL, where does this guy fit? Where do you think he ends up getting drafted? You know, it's tough because you allude to everything, like in terms of the technical ability, the way he plays, uh, the movement, the flexibility, even the tenacity on the outside. He's everything that you want, but like his biggest deal will be what does he measure in at as a combine? Does he hit the 5-10 mark? Because that's kind of the dividing line for some teams in the National Football League. If he does come in below that, say he measures in at 5-9, I believe he's still going to be an ideal sub-package corner. I think teams will be fascinated about his ability to play outside and inside. I think they'll love the fact that he's so versatile in the numbers of techniques that he can use from press to bail to playing off to being a good tackle on the edge. I think there's a spot for him in the first round. It really just depends on how fascinated and how stuck you are to that height measurement because he is 5'9 in a league that is really seeing big body wide receivers dominate on the perimeter. It could be tough to sell him to a defensive coordinator who has to play in maybe the NFC North where you have all those big-body receivers that are really making it hard on defensive backs in one-on-one situations. Well, you talked about the, the, the importance of size at corner. Another guy you've written about in recent weeks, out of the Pac-12, Stanford cornerback Wayne Lyons, another one of those big physical guys. Uh, what have you seen from him? Obviously, you know, a big guy who's physical at the point of attack. What, what are your thoughts on Lyons? You know, here, here's the thing with all those big guys. Like, with, with big guys, they look different than the smaller guys. But what I talked about with Epo, X-Ray, Olivo, in terms of his movement skills, his ability to make these smooth transitions and do those things, with bigger guys, you're not going to see it look as smooth or as fluid as them. But that doesn't mean they can't find a way to have success in the league. I like his long arms. I like his ability to walk and put his hands on people. I think he does a great job playing with instinct and vision. I think he's a very solid player. And I think this cornerback class, Potentially, could have a lot of solid players. Is there a star player in there like a Darrell Reeves or so? I mean, I wouldn't go on the record and say that there is one like that. But I do believe there are a ton of starting cornerbacks that can make instant impact in their respective games and for their respective teams, depending on the scheme that these guys play. 
The last guy I wanted to bring up with you, Bucky, and he played a huge part in his team's win on Saturday after you wrote about him last week. That's Kansas State wide receiver Tyler Lockett, easily one of the best return specialists in the country. Bill Snyder uses him in the screen game, the quick game, to get the ball in his hands because he's so great after the catch. His dad and uncle both played in the league. Just a really interesting prospect overall because of his explosiveness. How do you see Lockett's stock shaking out as the draft process unfolds? You know, here's the thing. He's one of my favorite players to watch. Obviously, I'm a little biased because I played with his dad, Kevin, in Kansas City, so I've kind of seen him grow up. I've kept my eye on Tyler as he's progressed. And what he brings to the table is he's kind of a two-phase player, a guy that can be a dominant punt returner, a guy that's averaging, I want to say, over 16, 17 yards for a punt return, has the ability to flip the field with the ball in his hands in the kicking game. But he's also a very smooth and savvy wide receiver. The one thing that will really be a knock on him is he's small. You're talking about a slender frame, small-waisted kid, a guy that doesn't have a lot of size. And so, ideally, he's kind of that number three receiver, the guy that you trot on to the field on, like, special situations, put him in the slide, work him on the outside, allow him to be the speed guy that can make some things happen. But I don't know if he has the frame to really endure it and be a guy that can be an every-down player. But because he can contribute in the kicking game, I think he has some value. I think you're looking at a guy that's probably a bottom-of-the-second, third-round prospect just based on his body of work. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the great Bucky Brooks. You can follow him on Twitter, at Bucky Brooks. Go and listen to him at Matt Money Smith, host the College Football 24-7 podcast, along with former Eagle scout Daniel Jeremiah. I listen to that show every week. You guys do a great job. And, of course, you can go and see Bucky on NFL Now, the league's next-generation video service. Go there and check out all the great content at your disposal there. Bucky, thanks again for joining us on the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. All right, so that'll do it. Thanks again to NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell breaking down the Cardinals. Awesome stuff from him and Bucky Brooks. We'll be back here next week to review the Eagles game against Arizona and talk more ball. Thanks for listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I'm Fran Duffy. We'll see you next week.